1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
0: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: Today, I'm talking to Erica Basso, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She provides therapy to professional women and some men many of whom feel disconnected, frustrated, or lonely. She says, Our society perpetuates the idea that we must strive to be something other than we are, to be less aggressive, less emotional, younger looking, thinner, etc. These strong pressures cause many to strive to some ideal of perfection. This leads to the comparison trap, feelings of never being good enough, and wondering what you were doing wrong when everyone seems to be on track in life. I don't know about you, but I definitely succumb to that pressure sometimes, and I have tended to be a perfectionist in my life. I don't think perfectionism is anything to brag about. Brene Brown says perfectionism is just fear in a fancy coat, and I think that's pretty much what mine is. But we really unpack this, and we talk about a lot of the issues that women are facing today, like anxiety, burnout imposter syndrome, perfectionism. We talk about negative self-talk. We talk about missing out on our lives, lack of connection. But we also talk about how to navigate the modern world where we are going to experience all of these things and live more mindfully, be in the here and now, how to self-regulate and self-soothe without reaching for our phone or food or online shopping or any of the distractions that we have right in front of us today. So this episode is full of tips and things that we can implement in our own lives to deal with a lot of the pressures we experience today. And guys, it's like an hour and 15 minute free therapy session, basically. So I really think you're going to love it. On another note, just a little bit of housekeeping. I just want to talk to you guys for one second about the podcast and the system of rating and reviewing and subscribing. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think a lot of people don't realize that iTunes, just like Instagram, has its own algorithm. And in order for shows to get featured and to really get out there, there have to be a lot of reviews and ratings and subscribers. So as much as I hate always being caught up in the numbers game, it is really important. I really want to get this podcast out there to more people. And I appreciate everybody who has reviewed and rated and subscribed and shared on social media Um, but I do see like the number compared to the number of people who listen, and it's a teeny, teeny, tiny fraction. Um, So I would really appreciate it. it. just takes one second. If you listen and you like it to just leave a review, it's a small thing that makes a huge difference for me. And with that, I will jump over to the interview with Erica. I hope you guys love it. I'm Arielle Laurie, and this is the Blonde Files podcast where I talk to experts, influencers, and inspirational people in the world of wellness and beyond. Okay, so I'm here with Erica Basso. Hi, Erica. Hi. And I have Kennedy. Hello. She might be joining us in this conversation today. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) I sit here
0: silently and just like soak up all the info.
1: Yeah, but I think you, you know, this topic is relevant for you as well. So very true. Um, Erica is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm really excited to pick your brain today. (laughs) So excited. Um, so I want to rewind a little bit and kind of start by talking about why you decided to pursue therapy.
2: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, well, you know, growing up, I was always like very, um, trying to figure out people and how they developed to who they are today and I was always really fascinated by people's stories and um human behavior and I was really an observant child so but you know it wasn't until like college that I like realized that I wanted to be a therapist so I originally went to college for like pre-med like wanted to be a dermatologist was obsessed with skin for like my whole life but um I quickly realized that that was not in the stores for me because um I could not like pass pre calc which was pretty you know you can't pass pre calc probably Who could? That really was hard yeah I <laughs> can't uh, get into any pre med so you know that was a really tough tough time that was like after my fir- my freshman year and so I really had to do some I guess soul searching on what I wanted to do with my life but I always knew that I wanted to. Do something for work that didn't feel like work. And um, I always knew that I wanted to do something that would make people's lives better. Um, And I think I was like on a panel, um, watching a panel, and there was a therapist there and she was just talking about her work. And I was like, hmm, this sounds really, really, really interesting. So I did a lot of research. I'd spent like a lot of days in like coffee shops just like researching everything about how to become a therapist, um, kind of schooling is necessary. And so I originally thought I was going to be a couples therapist. And I went to grad school for that, you know, all throughout grad school, any classes about um, adolescent or teens or individual adults, I wasn't really interested. I was like, I'm, I'm going to be the next couples therapist. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was like the last year that I really realized that I I don't want to do that, Not at least not right now. And um, I really, what I, what I know really well is women's issues and women's mental health because I am a woman. And I went through a lot of my own struggles and um, journey to getting here today. So I really realized that um, I could help a lot of women and I can understand them really well. Um,
1: and that's really important work to me right now because I think we're under a lot of pressure right now. So much pressure, yeah. Um. So, how long have you been practicing for?
2: Um, three years now. I started in substance abuse, uh-huh. so I was in there for a couple of years, and then now I am licensed this year, which is super exciting. It was a long journey, and but I got it done, and um, I'm in private practice now, which has always been my end goal mm-hmm. is to be my own boss and work
1: my own schedule. That's the goal. That's the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I really want to talk about your private practice and what you're seeing, what issues you're seeing. Um, but obviously I'm also curious Mm -hmm. in the substance abuse part of that because of my own, um, history with that and Mm -hmm. Kennedy as well. Mm -hmm. Wait, did I just out you? I think I've talked about being sober (laughs) on here before. I'm sober, everybody. I (laughs) I just (laughs) found out today. Yeah, I
0: just found out today. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I just, I was just saying this off mic a second ago, but... Um, Arielle and I have an experience in treatment and in sobriety from like the addict's perspective, but I love picking the brains of people who are on the other side, who are the mental health care in the facilities, because I think it's so interesting to uh, hear your observations of what you see the clients going through. Um, Because I feel like, I mean, I know at least for myself, when I was in treatment, I was not right in the head and so I wasn't able to really like receive a lot of the information mm-hmm. um but it's cool to hear about those experiences through a therapist eyes my and
1: and yeah. I'm so interested in like I mean I did work in substance abuse treatment for a little while and I know that um it can be really I mean talk about burnout <laughs>
2: yeah it's right. kind of like
1: like yeah when you're in an in acute treatment set an acute treatment setting first of all the fog hasn't cleared for a lot of people. So you're, it's really hard to even penetrate yeah. through a lot of their their stuff that's going on and make a difference, and then they're gone. And then the rate of recovery is so low, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm I'm also very curious what your experience was like with that.
2: Yeah, well, where to start with that, I guess.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> we're like, tell us everything. Well, yeah, <laughs> as much as you want to know my
2: side, I would love to hear more of your your guys' experiences as, you know, clients there trying to recover and um, all that. But definitely I was one of, it is the most challenging population. I hate that word, but it is the most challenging, like, work um, is substance abuse. And I'm really grateful for that training because now, like, you know, I can deal with anything that comes. (laughs) I'm not surprised at anything. Like, I worked, well... I guess I can begin, like, I worked with a lot of the, um, the prison population. So like males on parole. Um, I worked at, um, a residential for that in downtown Santa Ana. And that was like my first clients ever, never had any experience. And they just sent me there. Other people were playing with kids and like San and kids didn't talk. And I'm hanging out with like gang members alone, you know, no experience. Right. (laughs) Um, so that was, such a learning curve that year, but um, and then I transitioned into working in um, outpatient for substance abuse I, in Bel Air. So,
1: very different worlds, I'm sure. Same um,
2: issues though. Same stuff. Um, we actually got a lot of um, our clients from all over the country, so actually, mm-hmm. it was a similar population. Hmm. Um, it was really hard work. I've gotten. Called a lot of different names and it really took my own, um, I guess, I had to do a lot of my own work, of course, on, you know, how I can know how to help people and how I cannot take things personally and um, all of that. But it Mm -hmm. was, it's hard, hard, hard work.
1: I feel like addicts and alcoholics, especially like there's so much shame Mm -hmm. that that presents as anger and Mm -hmm. lashing out and, you know, defiance kind of puffing your chest at whoever's closest to you trying to help, which is often the therapists Mm -hmm. when you get into that setting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It took a while to get like to realize that and not react and Mm -hmm. not know it's not about me and to really have empathy for the person.
0: How did you not take on your client's emotions and like take it home with you? Because I feel like that's I mean it's a I, it's a general theme I I hear through therapists but also in just everyday life I feel like we take on so many of our mm-hmm. friends and family's emotions so what kind of boundaries and how did the boundaries kind of come about that you set for yourself
2: I think it had a lot to do with um, doing my own personal therapy like I've been in therapy pretty much throughout grad school and then also throughout post-grad and even now I started again um, but it's really doing a lot of my own work and I didn't realize how much work I had to do and I still have so much work to do. You know, things keep popping up and you get triggered and you really have to separate. You have to know yourself and be able to separate. This is my stuff coming up, you know, and really ground yourself. And, um, I found that through a lot of like self-compassion practices, like really, um, self-soothing myself you know as adults we have to be able to do that even if we didn't get that as children unfortunately it's not fair and but that really works um so like just being mindful of what is yours and how to separate that from you know be reacting off of that like in session with the client and then when I go home I make sure that um, I've gotten better at this over the years but I make sure that I have like things outside of work that are meaningful to me too like I love to cook I love to go to concerts i you know I love to go on you know I take vacations when I can um, i I still like hang out with my friends and pursue other hobbies so really not going home and just thinking and worrying about all of all of the stuff that's being put on me to you know feels like to fix um, and really having my life outside of home
1: taking care of myself. I feel like knowing how to self-soothe and self-regulate are so important. Mm-hmm. And I think for me at least, and for probably a lot of other people who have struggled with substance abuse and even other process addictions, um, it came from not knowing how to self-regulate. So I had to find something outside of myself to do yeah. so. Um, so what are a few, I mean, are there things that people can do who have trouble? Cause now it's so easy. If you feel a negative emotion, you can reach for your phone and get on Instagram and see how many likes you get, or you can reach for the wine yeah. or you can do it. There are so many shop, <laughs> do online shopping. I mean, it's like, there's something always at the fingertips. So I'm curious if you have any like tips that maybe listeners could do if they feel like they're getting like in a heightened state just to kind yeah. of. So
2: a big part of how I deal with emotions, how I guide clients to deal with their emotions, is through um, changing our our relation to our emotions. So instead of trying to stuff emotions or get rid of them or distract ourselves, which I mean, distraction is good at, at certain, you know, time limited amounts, but it's really befriending your emotions. So thinking mm. of it like, This, whatever's coming up for me, no matter how difficult, yes, um, it's really our body's brilliant, beautiful way of communicating to us. And it's really a roadmap for all that's that's needed. And we really have that within ourselves, like the answers of what's needed and how to meet our own needs. Um, But, you know, that sounds so easy, but it's so much harder in the moment. So to not get flooded um, by emotions or not getting overwhelmed by them. Um, I always, first, you have to learn how to just let the emotion wash over you and not be too, too afraid of letting that happen. So how to regulate our nervous system is through the breath. We have that power and it's through like true breathing. So full inhales, full exhales and really focusing on breathing and knowing that you have that power to regulate your nervous system. So once that has happened, um, you can tune into, like, what is this trying to tell me? Like, for anxiety, for example, like, you know, what what is this telling me about what's, what's off or what's needed? And it's usually um, an unmet need. And so those are, like, needs for connection, food, water, sleep. Those are all huge ones. And when those aren't met, then everything goes haywire. Um, but it's also, like, meaning and purpose. And um our other needs are like connect
0: like belonging yeah I love that term befriending emotion
2: yeah yeah it's it's a different way of looking because some theories of you know healing and therapy that I was taught in grad school is like to you know you have dysfunctional thinking you should get rid of this and you, you know these these negative emotions but you know all emotions is part of the human experience and that those are all okay and Um, it's really about how can I change my relationship with this emotion? Because anything that is ever coming up for us is really giving us a lot of information. It's really trying to tune in and learn how to self-soothe throughout the, the uncomfortableness and the
1: distress, and then find out what that's trying to say. That's a pretty powerful way to kind of shift your perspective. And instead of being like, I know for me, when I have negative emotions pop up, I used to like be a fighter, and I would mm-hmm. fight, fight, fight. And it's like what you resist persists, right? Yeah, so looking at it instead as like, oh, this is my body telling me something. like i need I need to pay attention yeah. to this. Um, you said that a large part of what we refer to as mental illness comes from a lack of connectedness and mm-hmm. belonging. Can you talk about that? because I feel like we're in this place now where it's like, there's so little connection. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a lot of what I saw, um, especially working with um, people struggling with substance abuse, and I have personal family members that still struggle with substance abuse. And it really, I, I find that you know the number one thing that people say that they use, you know, for they relapse because is like boredom. Like that's one of them, and when people say that they're bored. know I've really come to find that that really means that they're either not tap they're not sharing their gifts with the world they're not they're not using their unique like strengths and they're they're not they're not like using what they were they're here for and so that's why I think there's there's this boredom and wanting to avoid you know avoid life or just check out Mm -hmm um
1: what was the other part I just um I was just curious about what you were saying about the lack of connectedness and belonging but yeah I totally get that I feel like not to keep referring back to myself but I know for me like whenever I share about um why I I even started in the beginning it was because I always even though I had lots of people around me and I was you know popular and I had friends and all that inside I always felt like I was not connected like I was just a a half a step off from Mm. everybody else and I think that's why like 12-step programs um when people do what's asked (laughs) like if people actually do it (laughs) right it it can be it's so successful because all of a sudden you have a fellowship and a community and your purpose is to help other people so all of a sudden you have a purpose and you're using you're useful yeah 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 I mean think about
2: today's world like especially if you live in a city and people who are listening like if you live in a city or even if you live in LA you know that there really is a lack of community here and um, everyone's really busy doing their own thing and you know it's just so easy to spend the day thinking that you know you're being social on social media you know and having your your friends on social media and commenting on their pictures but never really having the face-to-face like real conversations without the phone at dinner with your friends it's it's just so hard to do these days but it's so important and it's a, probably one of the number number one things that I see in my therapy office is you know this loneliness and it's just really hard especially if you move here you know you move to a city from from somewhere else and you don't know anyone here it's really hard to make friends as an adult
0: like next to impossible at first Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah so I want to talk about um what issues you're seeing a lot of we kind of talked a little bit beforehand yeah um about this so we can just kind of start maybe with like burnout yeah yeah um how does how does burnout present in somebody's life Mm -hmm. well I always I always like to say if
2: you you can ask yourself this question like if you feel like you're really exhausted because of your long to-do list yet every day you think that you're not doing enough like you just feel like you have to go 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 you're probably probably heading or already you know on the edge of burnout and so it shows up as you know an increased cynicism at work or in life and relationships lack of meaning that you used to have meaning you're smiling.
0: You're like describing my life right <laughs> now, okay?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I mean, it's happening to a lot of us because we're always partially on, like, get you know, our phones. It's one little notification or ding away from already being back into that, like, stress response of, like, answering to work. And then you're trying to be present with, you know, your family or your your partner. And it's really hard to be
0: at five million places at once so we're never we're never really off and I think so often with I mean especially the work that Ariel does and even probably a little bit with what you do as well it's the pressure of like oh I'm grinding all the time Mm -hmm. and that's I'm validating myself because I'm grinding all the time and I'm working all the time and we hold so much value in how often we're working versus
1: the successes yeah especially with working on social media there's no hours because when you're up against something like an algorithm and, and not even the <laughs> yeah. algorithm, constantly but it's like on something, yeah um and I was thinking about that today because I woke up at six in the morning and reached <laughs> for my phone and was like literally on my phone oh. nothing else happening in the world until ten forty five, and like when I put it down it was all work do you when I put do it down that? no no okay. because I know better so. <laughs> but like I put it down my eyes were bloodshot my brain was fried I mm-hmm. felt like my yeah. day was fucking ruined and I was like this would not happen like even maybe 10 years no not 10 years ago because there wasn't social media like it is today but also like even in our lifetime like pre-internet like <laughs> I would have to go into an office when people would go to work and Mm -hmm. that would, those would be my hours. Not like whenever I like you're saying, whenever I reach for my phone, cause there's always going to be an email. There's always going to be a notification. There's always going to be this is for people in social media, but something to share, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, it's just, yeah,
2: we're addicted we're addicted
1: to our phones. Yeah. And I want to get to that too. Like (laughs) we can, we can talk about that after. but yeah, I think we're burnt out because we're just, you
2: know, well, if you're anyone that went to college, like, you're probably in a lot of debt. And so compared to our our parents' generation, like, we're in enormous amount of debt. We don't have the same standards of living anymore. It's much harder to buy a house, like, you know, and, and they, they really think that we're, like, very entitled generation, but... I don't see it that way at all. I see that it's so much more competitive these days, and you know college education doesn't matter that much anymore. so we we feel like we're always having to um, do more, and you know then we'll be happy. I hear that a lot. You know, just if if I accomplish this or get this promotion, then I can be happy. I'll allow myself to be happy then. And so if we're not celebrating the small successes along the way, which I had to learn how to do, um, you know, we're missing
1: a lot of our life and we're not missing out on joy. Yeah. So how do we be mindful of avoiding burnout? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about that. <laughs>
2: um,
1: this is so important, but, you know, like
2: something like, I forgot the number, but a lot of people are not taking their... Deserved PTO or vacation days, you know, and that that to me is like whoa, you know. So I think taking your deserved PTO or vacation days, or you know, trying to take um, some time off every every couple months to have a mental health day or something, that's really important. But also, um if you work for a larger company, a lot of a lot of them have some t- type of wellness program. Um, either they'll pay for therapy or um, they have, they have some type of wellness program because I think employers are realizing now that their their employees' health is really related to productivity. And you know, if the employee's mental health is dwindling, then they know that there's an incentive for them to really promote wellness and self care and um, all of that. But also, I think you know, if, if you can like find. Well, I think, well, let's put it this way. If you work for a company and you're feeling burnt out, what I've seen a lot is people are feeling like they don't know what's expected of them. They feel like there's so many projects coming on them. So I feel like really talking to your supervisor, or your boss about, you know, clarifying what's expected. And then also for some people, it's even asking for like more meaningful type of work or, you know, more responsibilities. Because if we're just kind of like coasting, that could burn us up too. And it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily that we're doing more work. It's that the work isn't meaningful or fulfilling anymore. Um, And then also I think learning how to take breaks throughout the day, even if that's to mindfully eat your lunch and not be on the computer, or to go for a walk like around the office building or wherever you work just taking breaks throughout the day and getting outside there's so much to be said about you know nature and our health um
1: yeah those are really good tips I'm gonna go take a walk after this and put my computer away and go eat yeah (laughs) I mean
2: so much of us are um kind of just eating because we have to and I don't Mm -hmm. think that we're ever not we're never slowing down to just mindfully do something. And I always say you can you can practice mindfulness anywhere. You can practice while brushing your teeth. It's like just eliminating distractions and really focusing on the sensations and the act of what you are doing in the present moment and not thinking about your to-do list or all the worries.
0: I think it's really interesting that she pointed out that burnout doesn't mean you're working yeah. too much. Yeah. Because that's always always the way that I've thought of burnout. You know, I, I feel like it's, it's always been, oh, I'm burned out because I'm working too much or I'm burned out because this project is taking over my life. But there is something to be said about the fact if you aren't stimulated within your Mm -hmm. career, your brain
1: just goes in circles. I feel like I need to give you more meaningful tasks. (laughs) So no, noted. <laughs> we're Uh-oh. on a good, we're on a good work
0: path right now. No, we're so good, but just, it's just, I've never even thought of it that way.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been quite the epidemic, I think. Um, yeah. So another issue that, um, is probably extremely prevalent right now that is also related is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Is this just universal? I mean, I know you can't talk about your patients, but like, <laughs> I feel I feel like I don't know anybody who doesn't, yeah, have some form of anxiety.
2: Anxiety is just inherently a part of life, right? Like we all feel anxiety. It's, uh, I it mean, it's really our relationship again to anxiety. So some people experience like the stress hormones of like adrenaline, and some people experience that as like, oh my god, I'm gonna have a panic attack. Um, Other people might experience that as um, like the adrenaline to go out and socialize and like, you know, you know, these are the more extroverted types. They experience that feeling with, you know, being extroverted and um, socializing and they get really like a high off of that for other people, you know, they can think, oh no, something's wrong and they don't know how to deal with it. And so, but yeah, everyone, I think everyone is going through anxiety, especially now, I mean, rates of anxiety have really risen over the years. So, um, you're definitely not alone. I have used to be crippled by anxiety. So, what do you do for your own anxiety? Now, um, I really realize that, um, you know, again, I have the power to control my nervous system through my breath. I also, um, am really mindful of how, um, what I'm eating throughout the day because I feel like we're going, yes, there's anxiety, like true, like trauma reactions and triggers that cause anxiety. But then there's also like, a lot of us are being just triggered into that stress response way too readily. And that's from like a drop in blood sugar, which is really interesting. So, um, basically when our blood sugar is crashing, It's sending like, oh, my God, an alert to the, you know, to the brain that something's off. We don't know when we're going to get our next meal. And, you know, it sends signals to the liver to break down storage. And a lot of us just experience anxiety at those parts of the day. So it's keeping your blood sugar levels stable. And a a good hack is to um, some people like to have like a spoonful of almond butter or coconut butter or coconut oil in between meals to keep your blood sugar levels stable because that's going to give you like the healthy fats and protein. Um, and, and really changing my diet has helped with my anxiety because you know, our Western diet, we're just chronically being inflamed. Um, our blood sugars are like a roller coaster. Um, so, you know, eliminating the white, the refined white sugar, the refined carbohydrates, um, and the flowers of course. Um, so really it's the diet. I changed my diet. I have r- realized that a lot of, um, the, like the stories that I would tell myself when anxiety would come up are like either not my voice, you know, they're either like someone else's voice from like my childhood. And so I know to just like not listen to it. And I've also changed, um, like my, the story about like myself and how I, decide to talk to myself now and that comes with like um talking to myself with like a kind voice instead of like my my inner critic. I think we can all relate to that. Mm-hmm. But our self-talk matters a lot because that's that's what our our
1: brain doesn't distinguish between like fact and just some made-up thought. If somebody is finding that they're having a lot of negative self-talk, how do you recommend somebody go about that because um, it's kind of like yeah. a rewiring right yeah
2: I mean yeah that's like basic neuroscience is it's it's really we, we have we can rewire the brain through repeated practice just like playing the piano is rewiring our brain um learning to think differently like different thoughts is also rewiring the brain and so is mindfulness and all that but what I say is um you know if if the people that are listening want to check out Kristen Neff's uh, research on self-compassion, but basically she she says that, or her research has found that um, people who try to motivate themselves with criticism, in it, like they don't perform as well as people, or they don't preserve, uh, persevere as well as people who motivate themselves with self-compassion. So if someone is coming to me, say, in therapy, and I can tell that their self-talk is really negative and it's causing a, limb, a lot of anxiety and other problems, And I really, I try to guide them into thinking about, you know, what would the ideal parent, you know, the perfect ideal parent say to their, their child in those moments? You know, what, what do you need to hear to feel safe and supported and really empowered to take, take control of your anxiety? So those are like cognitive coping, mm-hmm. like affirmations, kind of.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, what about imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. How are you seeing this show I, up? Yeah, I, I, I'm seeing it, I think,
2: and particularly in women, because I think, you know, like Brene Brown says, we're like, women have like a straight jacket full of expectations, you know, it's just so hard for us today. Like we have to, you know, uh, strive to be some, some form of perfection that society has deemed us. And, you know, with social media, it's like you can just like zoom in on people and just, you know, compare yourself to like every inch of their body. And it's just, you know, it's, it's really bad these days. But what I've been seeing is that, um, particularly people like who've gone, you know, through college and they've gone into their career. Um, You know, they've, they're usually like more of the perfectionist people, like they've done really well and they've gotten straight A's and then they go into their career, their first job, and they're like, they don't know anything because they're so new and they're not used to that. Yeah. So
1: perfectionism is another one, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that like perfectionism and it, it's different than just like regular achievement or wanting to excel. It's really about like our self worth our self-worth is contingent upon what we produce or what what we're doing. and it's not really anything that's internal. So um yeah, that's something that I see a lot too.
1: Elizabeth Gilbert has a quote <laughs> that I love, and she said, perfectionism is just fear in a fancy coat. I love <laughs> like that. when people are like, oh, oh. I'm a perfectionist, because people can kind of like wear it as a badge of honor.
0: Oh, yeah, we brag about right. it. Yeah,
1: yeah, like busyness and, you know,
2: doing, doing, doing. Mm-hmm. But what's
0: interesting is, like, in my experience, perfection comes from our own standard of what we think that we need to produce mm-hmm. for our self-worth, but it's all internal. It, it doesn't show through on the other end.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am like a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> so <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I know that all too well. Um, always thinking that, you know, if I didn't perform perfectly, then, you know, I'm a failure. Or if, if my work wasn't done perfectly, then I, you know, it was a failure for the day. Um, so it's really learning how to, I mean, for me, my therapist had to really teach me how to like um, tolerate mistakes, like all humans make mistakes and it's not, it doesn't, you know, I used to think like, oh no, I'm like off my path, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna make it, and, you know, that's the anxiety, right, too, but it's, it's really learning the better self-talk, motivating yourself with a kind, compassionate voice instead of like criticism and beating yourself up, um, and learning, this was a big one for me, learning when good enough is good enough
0: mm mm-hmm.
2: mhm so that
1: that's that's really where I try to guide um the women that I see today and not letting perfection what's that other quote like perfection is the enemy of good or something like that. Mm. I don't know. That's <laughs> also true though. So. yeah <laughs> Okay, we'll just pretend that, that was a quote. That's the quote. I mean there's something like it. I'm butchering it. Have you heard it? Your Oh. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, so that's interesting. I mean it seems like all these issues are probably co-occurring like they all go hand in hand. Yeah, that's what I've been seeing. Like, you know, if, if you are someone that
2: beats yourself up with, you know, the self talk, then you're likely to have more anxiety. You're likely to be someone who, you know, despite all of your, you know, achievements and all the things that you've done, you're, you know, you can get a PhD, all the, all those accolades, you still feel like you're not good enough for the
1: job or the position or even like, a loving partner, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for something outside you to validate you, it's never, never Perfection be is the
0: enemy of progress.
1: Oh. No, but there's another one. <laughs> Keep looking. Yeah. Do, do your research for us, please. <laughs> that was close, though. I like that one, too. Yeah. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for... For something outside of you to validate you, it's never, it's never going to be good enough. So I'm curious how you see people dealing with these things. Are people medicating, or are we addicted to our phones and the technology more than drugs? I mean, I know for teenagers, like mm-hmm. rates of drinking and drug use is down, and yeah. probably because they're just not even being social; would <laughs> rather sit on. That. Yeah, that, that's a good. that's I don't know if Good. it's drugs, but I know for drinking, it's it's way down because I think people just aren't, like, back when I was a kid. <laughs> I wonder what the rates for, like, marijuana cannabis yeah. use are yeah. for the young kids. Right. I would that anticipate be, it growing. Because they're yeah. sitting alone in their room, like, yeah. smoking weed mm-hmm. on their phone. But also, I read some article, like, months ago in the New York Times, and it was a teacher who had been teaching for decades, and... She said, "Like it's so eerie now in schools because when class gets out, the hallways are silent because oh people are just Everyone's on, their, on their, phones. their phones. Nobody's talking. Oh my god! <laughs> really yeah, we of, like, didn't laser have
0: flip phones. Like, can we oh bring my those god.
1: back? Yeah, yeah. I used to
2: have have one. I'll sneak, sneak in, uh, sneak in a little. Yeah, in my locker on break. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: So yeah, like, how how do you see people coping with these issues?
2: Yeah." I think definitely the big ones, which I think
1: always have been, is food. You know, Mm
2: -hmm. that's like, it. so it's either food, of course, alcohol. I'm really worried about the cannabis Mm -hmm. use. I feel like I was all for it being legal and I think it has its purpose, but I'm really worried that people are using it now to check out and not deal with um deal with what's happening and not deal with the emotions and learn how to cope with their emotions in a healthy way and um yeah like a lot of my clients now that it's legal clients that I would never even imagine everyone's smoking weed and I I mean it's just a little concerning to me if you're using it to check out and not give yourself like the opportunity to um deal with emotions and feel that empowerment and then no, like
1: really healthy coping skills. What are your thoughts on CBD?
2: Oh my God, <laughs> I've I've used CBD for oh my gosh, almost almost two years now.
1: Oh. And I yeah, I'm so envious of people because <laughs> I'm like that's not well, a drug, but it's just a slippery slope.
2: Yeah, and and a lot of the CBD out there is not real. Right, <laughs> it's really you know it's like the greenwashing that was in the the beauty. Yeah. You know for beauty products is now with you know everyone's trying
0: to make a dollar off of cbd and a lot of T- cbd has traces of thc still in it
1: yes yeah yeah it's like aaron was saying that. <laughs> that's the one
0: well it like has yeah. to apparently to work
2: effectively yeah. am i right on that yeah yeah there's so the one that i use actually has a little little bit of a thc it's not enough to feel the effect from that mm-hmm. it they they just say that they keep it um because um the other like properties in cbd work better in when when it's in conjunction so i've been using it for for a long time and my own therapist actually was using it and like that's where i learned about it and then she was she was selling it and um <laughs> it's <sounds> also weird <laughs> she was selling it at her practice and but she gave it to her son too that has um ADHD, and it was really working for him. So I'm like, okay, if she gives it to, you know, her little son, that's Mm -hmm. like six, then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's safe to use. So I tried it out. And it was at the time where I was doing a lot of my own work on like depression and anxiety and um, a lot of past trauma. And um, I never, you know, there was at that time where I thought, okay, maybe I'll give psych meds a try. Um, but after I tried the CBD for a while, I didn't never even had to go on psych meds. Mm. And I'm not saying everyone will have that experience, but I think that there's so many more things that we can do now before taking a pill, um, that it's at least, um, it's at least worth it to try, try those other,
1: other modalities of healing. So I love it. Do you feel like a lot of people, like, is it usually an exception or a rule that people that end up coming to see you have some kind of unresolved trauma it seems like everybody has at least a little t trauma yeah. in their life and especially now like it's more it's coming out mm-hmm. and i know personally like i had a big t trauma which i've talked about and um it didn't like i i just shut it down for a lot of years because i didn't i couldn't my body yeah. just My brain couldn't handle it after like maybe four years sober. Then it started to come up, but it started, I think, manifesting in health issues.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think so, like you said, like there's little T and there's big T trauma, but trauma can be anything from, you know, just getting picked on this one time at school and for you in that moment at at that age with that, all the resources that you knew that you could not cope. It was like, what happened to you was beyond your, your ability to cope at the time. So that can really get imprinted in our memory and our physical body as, as a trauma and we stuff it, like you say, because we don't know what else to do with it and we have to keep ourselves safe. And then it can get re-triggered later on in life and we don't know why we're having such a strong reaction to what's happening. And then, when we kind of like, like I said, befriend the emotion and really tap down into the emotion, we can start to remember like when when did I first remember feeling this way or what's coming up for me? And um we can we can begin to remember like, okay, it was that time in my life. And then we can learn how to really not get hijacked by the memory. And um, that's you know through neuroscience and Learning to relate to it in a different way now that we're much older and we have so much more resources. Um, But I think, yeah, trauma can be anything from, you know, what I see a lot is just growing up, like what happened in your household. Like something that happened that was really scary. Maybe your parents fighting even Mm -hmm. or... um, yeah, it can, it can manifest in so many different ways. But I think most people do have some form of trauma. It's just
1: how much it has affected them. So I want to, I want to get to audience questions, but yeah. just to kind of like close it out, how do we <laughs> navigate a modern world where we're we're all, we're human, we're going to have these feelings and Mm -hmm. we're going to fall victim to some of these. Oh, I don't want to say like we're victimized, but like we're, we're going to experience these things at some point in our lives. So how can we exist in the world today and not get knocked down by all of this? Yeah. um, I think
2: learning how to slow down, Mm -hmm. just slowing down and knowing when, to cut back on your obligations and learning how to tune into yourself. I always tell people to do like daily check-ins, maybe three times a day. And that what that looks like is you check in with how you're feeling, you identify the feelings with an emotion, and then you ask yourself what needs aren't being met, you know, because it usually goes back to um, a need isn't being met or something feels out of balance and then making plans to you know, take care of yourself and meet those needs, or in the moment, or at least later on. Um, so the big, those are the big ones. Learning to slow down. I'd also like to add, like, you know, like, particularly for anxiety, um, it's really important that you know people are listening that are going through anxiety um, to not like avoid or. Um, not do the things that you want to do because you're afraid or it's way too anxiety provoking because that's really going to keep you stuck and that's what I see happen a lot and that's just like human nature to not you know want to move away from pain you know and you know we want to move towards pleasurable things so um to really know that you can still do the thing you want to do even if you're afraid
1: and yeah yeah That's huge. That's such a good one. Um, Are there any practices? I mean, you kind of talked about it before, but are there any, like, anything that the listeners could be doing or incorporating into their lives that you think are, is important to kind of stay balanced? And so you kind of touched on them, but just to round it up. Mm -hmm. Well, I think going back to, like,
2: thinking about life being um, like the mind, body, spirit and all of that, um, thinking about like what feels out of balance for you. And so, you know, that could be incorporating more play into your life and, you know, what makes you feel like a child again. You know, when's the last time you laughed or danced or, you know, you know, went out with friends and just we're there without your phone and connected so i think that's a really huge part that's missing for a lot of people is play because we're so focused on work (laughs) so um and also i think um getting connected to spirituality and that doesn't have to mean um, a religious affiliation but how do you feel connected to something outside of yourself and i know you said that was a big one for you you know it doesn't have to be religious or you know what we typically think of it as spirituality but it could be like getting out in nature more and you really you know no distractions out in nature by water more those are really healing healing things that are missing um but i would also say like taking um trying out some of the more like chinese um eastern practices of healing so acupuncture, Chinese herbs, um sound work, sound baths, and body work, even and um, those are all really, really great, and I think that they're well they're coming they're coming more into our Western world, but mm-hmm. for a long time they were missing.
1: I don't know if this is included in that, but like meditation mm-hmm has been the most transformative thing yeah. of my life like i can't talk about it enough and do you like it, to do it in the morning or at night i do transcendental meditation so i do okay. 20 minutes in the morning 20 minutes in the afternoon did you go to their um three day no oh you did no my husband i think was trying to go it was a few months ago right
2: yeah yeah they have it every so often
1: yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. I feel like I should get a TM teacher on here to talk about it because yeah. I don't I won't do it justice. But um, there are so many different kinds, too. It doesn't have to be something structured like that, even though it's not really structured. But mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah, just like the philosophy of meditation and mindfulness is really accepting the present moment and not trying to change it or feel like we have to change it because there's that pressure that oh no this feels bad like how do I get rid of it as soon as possible because
1: you know we don't got time for this Mm -hmm. it's yeah yeah and I feel like um like we're so busy and we're like you were saying like we don't stop moving we don't slow down so how can we even know what's really happening with our (laughs) thoughts and our and ourselves without just taking even just a few minutes to like Mm -hmm. stop and observe that well I say it's really
2: important to uh, like develop your mindfulness skills by picking you know one activity a day like just start with that and pick one activity a day to do and be fully there so that could be Like cooking a meal, eating, or putting on lotion, or taking a shower, or brushing your teeth. Pick that, and just be fully present. Tune into what it feels like in your body. Observe your thoughts. You know the thoughts are going to be there. I think that's a misconception that people try out meditation and then they're like, "I could." It's not for me. I'm not a meditator because (laughs) I couldn't uh, clear my mind. Yeah, that's not. Our thoughts are gonna come, and it's really being able to observe them uh, non-judgmentally, like not put a label on them as "oh no, uh, yeah, that's a bad thought" or "this is this is," you know. It's just tuning into the body, you know, in the shower or whatever, uh, tuning into the body, tuning into the breath, and not worrying about what just happened with your fight with your friend or your partner or what you're gonna do right after really just being in the here and now and accepting all that's going on in life. Mm-hmm. Radical acceptance. Yes. What we call uh, yes.
1: Okay, so let's do some questions. Um, this person asks how to navigate the pressure to constantly, in quotes, do the work. How to be more gentle on yourself. Mm.
2: This sounds like um, someone who, yeah, probably holds themselves to a high standard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say knowing, knowing when good enough is good enough and what that looks like for you. And so knowing how much you realistically can do on any given day, and really that's going to be, you know, different for everyone, but getting, getting honest with yourself. Cause I think we put way too much. For any given day and i think like they say you can only achieve so many things on your to-do list a day so um and so being honest with you know what is good enough and then allowing yourself permission to rest after after you you did what you needed to do that day or even if you can't get to everything you needed to do that day still knowing when you can slow down and give yourself permission to rest and just like focus on the things that you are doing instead of you know all the things that we of course want to grow and um achieve and do better with I think it can be really hard especially like on Instagram like when you're seeing all these new diets and this is how you should do your morning routine and then you're thinking about oh no like I haven't I haven't done any of that and just good enough is good enough and know that you know focusing on what you are doing and having gratitude for that is going to allow you to be more present and see really what you have achieved
1: I love that so we kind of talked about this before but how do you recover from burnout
2: (laughs) yeah well yeah that's hard um I think like I said Trying first to go and see if, like, you you can, you know, take care of yourself throughout. Like, maybe yeah, company programs if you work at a company, like, take advantage of if they'll pay for therapy or what have you. But it's also I think having really good boundaries with home and work life, which you know we touched on, like, can be so hard because we can answer work emails through our phone while we're with our family or at a really important, you know, you know, Christmas morning opening presents and then, you know, you're work you're 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 on your phone and your kid is you're missing your kid. You know, you're missing out on what your kid's experiencing. Um, so knowing what your boundaries are with work and home and then sticking to them. Like when you're at home, either delete the app on your phone, you know, or just turn off the notifications on your phone like we can actually do that we don't <laughs> have to have every notification coming up but yeah the, the boundaries are going to look different for everyone but it's important that you just really stick to them and, and honor your time outside of work
1: um, okay so this person has struggled with postpartum anxiety and its effects for years now mm. what is the best way to deal
2: mm. Mm. well I haven't worked a lot with mothers but mm-hmm. I do know that postpartum anxiety and depression is like a real thing so I would say therapy
1: I th- <laughs> <It's>
2: not- <laughs> yeah well that could be helpful but um I think having an identity outside of being a mom is really important so you know putting yourself in your schedule just as much as you would put all your you know the things that you have to do for your kids and your household, Um, really putting yourself first and finding outside support, you know, if they can come in and take care of the kids for a while, but really nourishing the things that you used to love to do before you were a mom, because we can have many different roles, and we should really
1: um, honor all of those identities. Are there supplements that actually help with depression? anxiety and stress Hmm. you know a good supplement that
2: I tell everyone that has anxiety to get is magnesium it's a mineral that relaxes the body and they call it like nature's Xanax Um, I I always recommend that I think CBD can work with both things Um, particularly it works well for thought rumination, so the worry thoughts and that can be in depression and anxiety And it also can relax the body and help with pain and perceived pain. Um, Other than that, there is a lot that I would recommend looking up. Um, I don't feel comfortable like, um, because some of them have to, um, you have to make sure that they're they're not interacting with the things that you're already taking. But I will say if you want to find like um, a Chinese medicine doctor they might be able to really steer you in the right direction or even like a holistic psychiatrist.
1: But magnesium is a big one. This person is having issues with navigating personal questions as a woman in job mm. interviews. She
0: mm-hmm. said it's
1: happening a lot. Mm. I wonder what type of personal questions
2: like yeah. in terms of like marriage. and.
1: I don't know. She didn't specify. Yeah, I
2: guess they, I mean, they're not supposed to, but think A lot of people are still asking those questions. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I would say I would say being really careful about how you answer those Because you know employers are at the end of the day looking out for themselves mm-hmm. and we think that you know people are you know companies are following you know the right policies and being e- equal mm-hmm. and they're not so Hmm. if it's in terms of like kids and like you know how much how much like time they she'll have for the company I would I would I would take care of your your own self first and maybe not not be so honest like what what how is like thinking about like how can I answer this to protect
1: myself first yeah I mean that's tricky I don't think asking about like kids I mean is that maybe it's pregnancy that's not legal Mm. (laughs) right Mm. i don't know i wonder what kind of questions she meant yeah i don't know um can you do you have any advice on modern dating Mm. (laughs) i was
2: just reading about all these um like i haven't been dating obviously i've been in like a long-term relationship for over seven years but there's like this thing called icing there's ghosting icing and sizzling and oh my gosh I
0: am I have not heard of these yeah
2: well it's basically it's so easy now for us to just you know get that external validation by talking to someone when we're lonely you know on the on a dating app and feeling really good about ourselves and being hit on in all sorts of ways and okay like you, you know see the boost you need yeah and then keep these people hanging and then you know they might be really interested and then you know you're you were just there for like a quick confidence boost or self-esteem boost and then you don't ever respond um and so it's really hurting a lot of people and I mean I have men I see men too in my therapy room and like you know women will do these horrible things to them like we're doing horrible things to to men too and um, yeah, so my advice is, you know, it's really hard to be vulnerable, but we do need to take responsibility as adults and learn how to communicate and not um, treat people like,, um, you know, like just objects and toys to be like thrown around at our d- dispense. So if you are interested in someone, um, you you gotta not let them hang, you know. Keep them hanging. You, you gotta really be able to communicate like an adult, and I think that's lacking, especially because it's just so easy to
0: just not respond.
2: Yeah, I'll just say out of sight, out of mind. Okay, so dating's have... brutal in LA. Yeah, I'm God. I'm very grateful every day.
0: So okay. We're both in relationships, so you're in a relationship no y'all both are one's married one's in a long relationship so i I can fully relate (laughs) he's
2: nodding his head what are what are some things that you you've struggled with
0: um i mean i've been on and off dating apps for three years i'm not like an avid like i swipe through on a daily basis but that's so true it's it's is that what icing means when you like just stop responding on a dating app it's so easy to just be like, oh, I was interested in you until something else came along yeah. unmatched. There's
1: always yeah, like, like you never have to fully commit because there's always going to be something else. Something and else.
0: I, I, I will admit I've done it to people and it's happened to me a lot, too. And my rationale is like, well, we actually don't know each other. So yeah. we technically don't owe each other anything.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and I think that's the rationale that a lot of people hold on to. Because the amount of people's faces you might see on, like, on a a single day, if you're, like, swiping through is, you know, you're going to forget half of them. You're going to forget most of them. I think the statistic is you only message 30% of the people you match with and you only meet up with, like, 2% of the people you match with.
2: Yeah. And I'd also like to add, I think it's important that, you know, with these dating apps, um, there is always opportunity to look for the next best thing and to think about oh God, yeah oh no he didn't he didn't meet this criteria so i'm gonna scratch him and you know go find someone else because there's someone else better than him but if we thought about that with you know even our relationships right now like me if i would have like just given up when i saw the first like red sign or you know I, the first fight or something like Yes, I could have done that. But also, like, when you get into a relationship with someone, you're getting into a relationship with a set of problems that probably aren't going to be resolved. And that's just, like, the, the statistics on relationships. Like, most of the issues aren't going to be resolved. No one's perfect. And I think um, it's a real a real issue today that people have these high expectations for, you know, meeting their perfect criteria of who they want to date and then anything that comes up they're like you know i can just i'm not dealing with this i can go find someone better and then we don't want to be vulnerable and (laughs) then we just ghost people
1: and like the there are reasons for like i don't know the terminology with these apps but like it's so arbitrary like you have split second to make a decision on somebody really yeah. i mean and it's just like I, I know that's how it was when i was oh yeah it's on like the dating apps
0: it's you're all tied down now so you're so lucky i've you never don't to been use on them. one you've never been on one oh yeah you've been in a relationship probably longer than they've been like popular exactly yeah um, i think i downloaded was... one once my first year in my relationship it's even hard it's, to... <laughs> it makes it hard to meet people in real life too because you always know that there's this thing on your phone that can validate you if you're not getting it from the person that's in front of you. Yeah. Even if you know that it's never going to come to any fruition, it's just like you said, it's emotional validation. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to meet the person in mm-hmm. person, but mm-hmm. it makes it, I've, I've witnessed, um, cause I've been in several relationships since like dating apps have like come about and I've witnessed the amount of trust someone has in the commitment of the relationship decline. Because we all know that there's something else, literally a phone away, that you could mm-hmm. totally reach for if you really needed
1: it. So, yeah. no, it's, like, That's causing a lot of distrust and, nice. and anxiety. It's nice that, like, my husband is not of this <laughs> generation because oh he gosh, has yes. no clue. He's not even on social media. What's I'm like Tinder? He yeah. Have, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Does he even have a LinkedIn?
0: No. does he not have a linkedin no why would he have a linkedin i don't know i feel like he, I, he doesn't need a
1: linkedin let's be real but like that, that's true but like i feel like he should have one i don't know no he i mean he is so intensely private first of all it's and true. second of all like yeah why why yeah. So, so is no he on point. his phone less than He's never on his phone his oh. his only addiction on his phone is the new york times app and oh, I i'm it. so not I'm... surprised yeah <laughs> Like, and he'll do it, like, before bed, we'll be reading, and then, like, he'll pick it up, and I'll be like, babe, put it down, because he's, like, addicted to (laughs) politics and outrage. Oh, yeah. And, like, for myself, too, like, I love the app, too, but I can only, I set limits with it, because, like, too early in the morning. Well, I read the paper in the morning, but at night, I just, after a certain point in the day, I just don't, I can't. (laughs) You've set up such a good uh, morning routine for yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I do. It's. I'm a ritual person, and mm-hmm. like I, I just I know myself, and I yeah. I figured out what I need, and like obviously there are days where, I, you know I, kind of like override it,
2: yeah.
1: Um, but like today I did that. I kind of came to at ten thirty, ten forty five, and was like, huh, like what the fuck just happened? But then I like lit some sage and some candles. Yes. I took a. I like took a hot shower really quickly got in like sat down with the candles and the sage and i meditated for 20 minutes and mm-hmm. drank a bunch of water because when i'm dehydrated too that's some stress back exactly. to your body yep. and i was like okay and then i took my dog out and threw the ball on the beach and <laughs> mm-hmm. so yes i'm like rituals are so
2: important to yeah. keeping us grounded what's yeah. your morning routine my yeah i love I love the mornings, actually. Um, so right now I can make my own schedule. So I usually only work the days that I work. I work in the afternoons. So like after people's work, uh, after people get off of work. So I get the mornings. Sometimes I will get up and I always have to take a shower because like I just am so stiff from a car accident. So I take a shower and like really loosen up and um, I try to like mindfully do all my little activities like personal hygiene and really just be in that moment, try to limit, um, try not to like reach for my phone, um, and just be like sucked into all that right away. So try to keep some distance from that. Um, sometimes I'll go to Pilates. Um, but yeah, I, I like to just have a slow start to my mornings, but, um, you know, before when I was working full time at a treatment center, they were more rushed, but I think the biggest for me is just like focusing on um, easing into the m- mornings so focusing mindfully on each task and asking myself how I feel, maybe saying some affirmations if I have more anxiety that day, like, you know, I, I got this, I-, I have all I
1: need to deal with whatever comes up today. Okay. I have one more question Mm -hmm. to close it out because I'm curious. You Mm -hmm. said that you do see men too and I'm just wondering if they have the same issues and if, I don't know if you can answer this, but like if they're as affected by like social media as Mm -hmm. women are. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of a two part question.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I think the work that I do with men is really important because I love seeing men come in and want to learn how to express their emotions yeah. you know, i think it's really a changing t- time in our society so i see yeah mostly younger men um who are really trying to say yeah we have emotions too and we're, we're struggling with self-esteem issues um but yeah i think social media affects people like the same and i think for women in particular it's more of the comparison like zooming in on kylie jenner's ass and like comparing it to yours <laughs> and like all these instagram models there's not a lot of like male ig models yeah well there is but we don't
1: i'm, I'm talk not about i'm them. not yeah i'm
2: not sure that men are like comparing they might be but it i think it's more so with the women women mm-hmm. that part but i think for men i they just they just realize <laughs> well i hear a lot that you know they're, they're following all these like hot girls Like, the men are following all these hot girls on IG, and they're feeling, like, really bad because they're, like, oh, well, I'll never get her. So, it is playing on their Mm self-esteem in that way. Mm -hmm. Like, thinking about, like, yeah, she's hot, but I probably will never get someone like that. And so, they're feeling really bad about that. Um, And then the dating apps is really Mm -hmm. taking a toll on men's, like, self-worth, too.
1: Mm. Well, that's encouraging that they're seeking help i Mm -hmm. was listening to i can't remember what podcast it was i think it was with gavin newsom's wife Mm -hmm. and she was talking about she has a documentary on she was talking about like this toxic masculinity and how boys from a young age are taught like even marketing like women's deodorant and like shampoo is like light and you know flirty whatever and men is like crushing scent Mm -hmm. odor you know like all these like the words they used to define and so they're like kind of um groomed Mm -hmm. to be for this masculinity and then if they are feeling these emotions they're not going to talk about them exactly and that probably in a lot of people you know kind of suppressing that it's going to show up later um yeah and i think what i see is
2: men um as they as they age you know they focus on their partner or their wife and they stop putting so much attention to their friendships with other males and for a lot of men they have very few male friends and I mean that's for a couple reasons um I think the reason is like it can be considered like um, there's still that homophobia of like being really connected to another male Um, And that's just from society and it feels weird to open up to another male. You know, they like play sports together and they usually don't like have those heart to hearts that women like to do and are, you know, Mm -hmm. natural at. So um, there's a a lot of loneliness for, for men these days. So developing relationships as a male and having another male to go to with your emotional side is really important.
1: Hmm. love it um well i could keep going i know <laughs> I hour. Here forever. <laughs> but, um, we didn't even get to really talk about like your instagram account and yeah. what you're doing with that do you want to tell everyone like where they can find you and, yeah. and what you're doing there um so you can find me at mind by food
2: or um ericabasotherapy.com is my practices website um we have offices in sherman oaks and pasadena Um, but yeah my Instagram was really made for um, kind of more like a creative outlook on I really wanted like a space in like the web that is like more inclusive and not just like IG models and um, I've always been into baking and cooking and that really was like my first coping skill as a kid and you know, the first like mindful activity that I ever did when, you know, I never even knew what that stuff was, but it's really like my way to relax. And I've always um, wanted to like have, have some, some like creative platform to share that with. And, you know, I thought about creating a blog, but I, I created my, my Instagram like last year and it was really to showcase like alternative ways to heal. Um, but now I, I talk a lot more about mental health and all those uh, difficult conversations. So,
1: yeah, it's well, growing. It's <laughs> so important yeah. what you're doing. Thanks. and. I people are gonna love this episode. I I'm I like, oh my love God. this episode. I love this episode. <laughs> I mean, you can edit my, my so brain good. part Oh, oh yeah, God. yeah. No, oh really? yeah. It'll sound seamless when it. It's definitely
2: because I didn't have lunch yet. I think I should. I uh, yeah, I Air hear one you. One I did this. the same
0: thing. I think I should go to Air One.
2: <laughs> you're like the. I wanted to say like you're the influencer for salmon because oh. <laughs> yes. me and my boyfriend eat salmon like four times a week now and it's yes. all because I, see, I remember i used to see like this girl eats salmon every day <laughs>
0: she's cut back too though is that I good have...
2: for us i heard once that it's like bad i mean but like good I quality like, salmon has. yeah less yeah less i less think
1: it's it. wild i think um you would have to eat so much of it you yeah. know to I get try get to keep poisoning. like a four ounce serving not yeah, yeah, huge huge serving I think you're fine i think um we can find something wrong with everything nowadays right. i think salmon's pretty benign yeah yeah i ooh, i love my salmon i should actually see if i can get to air one before i go do my yeah. makeup at my dentist's office <laughs> so it's that. been a yeah, day at least for that you. has good lighting right oh my god <laughs> i
0: do you want to say bye are we still on air Maybe
1: um I... yeah well Thank you, well, thank you so for having, having me. Thank it was an honor. So much.
0: I, hope, I hope there's some good
2: stuff in there for the listeners. Oh my God, listeners. it's so good. I'm oh yeah, like, I love this episode. i
1: thinking like I kind of want to make it a two-parter. I don't know. It- I, I was thinking to that too sure sure while we were that, talking. Like, yeah. Sometimes yeah. people drop off after at like 40 minutes to an hour mark. That's what I was so thinking, yeah. So maybe like a two-parter.
2: Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. love it. I, I, I don't want like anyone stuff.
2: to miss anything that could be really helpful. Yeah. I feel
0: like I don't need to go to therapy today now because... I just learned so much about myself
2: in this (laughs) conversation. Oh, that makes me really happy. It was nice to connect. Free therapy
1: today for everyone who's listening to this episode. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) He's looking at me like,